Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and you're listening to episode number 72 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. And this is a, a special episode. Well, they're all special episodes, but uh, this one I get to talk about a favorite film of mine. And recently I made a list of my top 15 films, my favorite 15 films of all time. And I know I've mentioned some and perhaps even talked about them in detail on the show. And so periodically from here on, if I haven't discussed the film, uh, a film already, I'm going to be uh, touching uh, on it in some form or the other in a future episode. So this is the the first of many future episodes that will highlight uh, a movie from this this list of 15. And today it is arguably one of the best horror films, slasher films uh, ever made, certainly in, in recent memory. I think you would consider it a, a modern-day classic in this case. And it's a, a film that in, that in a lot of ways offers a commentary on the genre itself. And, of course, you couldn't guess uh, the movie that I'm talking about. It is the first Scream film, directed by the late, great master of horror himself, Wes Craven. So in addition to talking about this film, which I would easily consider one of my favorite movies of all time, to say nothing of one of my favorite horror films of all time, I thought this would also be a fun way to jumpstart spooky season because, let's be honest, folks, we know Halloween is around the corner. Fall, it's maybe not quite in the air, but uh, it is, it's getting closer. I've seen that there are some advertisements for uh, pumpkin lattes and pumpkin spice coffee, so folks are, are getting into the, the bit of the season earlier and earlier, and that's fine by me. I am a fall person. I am not a, a, a summer person. It's not that I, I don't, I, I, I'm like opposed to the, to the heat and humidity, but I, I much prefer the months that are uh, upcoming. So September, October, especially this is a, this is my time of year. So bring on the pumpkins, bring on the apple cider, bring on the scary movies, because this is, this is my favorite time of the year without question. So I thought in addition to talking about it, let's really kickstart spooky season a little bit early. I mean, won't go full on into to horror movie land just yet, but uh, this is a little, little appetizer, if you will, a precursor to what will be coming starting in, in mid to late September. It's going to be nonstop uh, discussions and reviews of horror movies right through till Halloween. So if you're not a fan of that partic- of those particular films, uh, you, know, you have my permission to take a breather from Phil at the Movies for pretty much uh, the, the latter half of September through the end of October, but I'll give you plenty of uh, of notice beforehand, so you're not caught surprised like some character in a, in a horror movie. But before I I begin with sharing my thoughts on this this seminal horror film, uh, as always, you can follow this show along. I would encourage you to uh, to give a like, give a follow uh, on social media. All of the handles are. In the show notes, Twitter, threads, uh, I'm on Blue Sky now. I mean, pretty much any any social media uh, app that is popping up, I'm pretty much signing on to uh, in some capacity because 
who knows what's going to happen with with Twitter or, or or whatever they're calling it these days. It always helps to have options. I'm a big believer in in uh, in choice. So uh, you can find me, of course, there. I'll also use this time to give a plug for. Another show that I co-host uh, with my, my two friends, Anthony Caruso and Chris Evans, DC Unlimited Pod. That is the show. Again, all the information is in the show notes, and we'll be dropping a new episode soon. Again, if you're a fan of Batman, Superman, all things DC-related, that is the show for you. Again, if you haven't had your fill of me with this show, you could certainly follow along and, and enjoy our uh, you know, every few week uh, discussions and, and thoughts on sort of where DC is. We'll be you know, reviewing movies like we have in the past, along with some other things, uh, I'm sure. So give that a, a, a follow. Again, if, if not for me, just to, uh, to support uh, Chris and Anthony, because they're two, two great guys and, 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 and friends, and, and they've been a, just an absolute blast to do the show with, and, and we're having a great time. Uh, talking all things DC. So I encourage you to check that out if you have not done so already. And last but not least, let me just say, as I often do, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your continued support and encouragement of this show. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I consider each of you a friend, whether we've we've met or not. And again, we've had uh, met a lot of great people through doing the show, a lot of great connections, a lot of friendships have been have been forged because of it. So I, I appreciate each and every one of you, your your embrace, your encouragement, and support of this show just means the world to me. Again, it's a, been a passion project. It will stay a passion project. But to, to, to know that, that people are engaging and, 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 and enjoying it, that just makes it all the more worthwhile uh, for me. And, and so I just appreciate you, and I thank you uh, oh so much for... Uh, your continued support and friendship of Phil at the movies. So Scream, the first installment in the horror slasher film series that is still ongoing. They recently announced a seventh installment is in the works. They're looking to begin filming it. Uh, potentially in 2024, early 2024. So that would give an idea that probably might be seeing this film in late 2024, if not early 2025. And certainly makes sense, given that, that horror is having a moment right now, uh, which is it's great for, for me, being a fan of the genre, to see horror back in vogue and, and people enjoying these films. But, but audiences are also turning up. Uh, again, I think everything is, is cyclical. There's always an ebb and flow with, with any kind of, of genre. I think the superhero comic book movie might be on the downward uh, slope, but I mean, again, everything everything kind of has a moment, and, and horror is having its moment, and that's that's perfect for me. And the fact that audiences are, 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 are enjoying these types of films and, and wanting to see them will only encourage studios to continue to make them and to put them out uh, you know, kind of with great quality. And that's really how I wanted to uh, start this, uh, this, this monologue, if you will, uh, this passionate monologue. In 1996, the slasher subgenre was, for all intents and purposes, in the rigor mortis stage. Uh, popular films like Halloween... Friday the 13th and, and Nightmare on Elm Street had really become caricatures uh, of themselves. I mean, 
by this point, Michael Myers was now controlled by an evil cult. You had psychotic leprechauns running around. Again, I'm not trying to diss the movie Leprechaun and its sequels, but I mean, just kind of gives you an idea of where the genre was in the early to mid uh, 90s. And of course, Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th was back from the dead yet again. I mean, the films of the 1980s that had really been staples of, of horror and, and, and the slasher subgenre now look cheesy and, and cliched and ultimately less frightening. I mean, the 80s were, were a time where, again, Freddy and Jason became household names. Michael, of course, began in, in the late 70s with Halloween, but saw his, his, uh, his stock rise throughout the decade. And, of course, there was countless rip-offs and, and imitators and just anyone trying to cash in on, on the slasher craze to, to make a quick, uh, quick buck on these things. And ultimately, it kind of felt like by the end of that decade and going into the 19, early 1990s, Everything was was tame. Everything was was muted. It was if it was if the razors from Freddy's gloves gloves had been ripped out and, and replaced with dandelions. I mean, it was it was not a good time for uh, really horror, but 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 particularly the slasher uh, genre. I mean, this is also the time you saw films like The Silence of the Lamb uh, debut and kind of take the genre in a different direction. And yes, I consider that film a, a horror film. It may not be in the most traditional sense, but it is a, a horror film. And again, I think it sort of illustrates from there, audiences were looking for something a little little more engaging, a little a little different, a little more inventive than just a guy in a mask running around and stalking people and filming the blank uh, location or you know how many times can can Freddy come back and, and, and scare people in their dreams? I think people wanted something a little different. And just to kind of give you an idea by that by that point, the, the, the slasher movie looked almost relegated to the direct video market. Uh, you know, pretty much it was a hackneyed idea from a bygone era. And no one would have thought that a, that a little movie released in December of 1996 again not usually a time for a horror film but a, a, you know nevertheless was released no one would have expected this film scream which was originally titled scary movie uh, interestingly enough would become this phenomenon and, and not only revitalize the, the, the subgenre but but sort of give give new light to it i mean because of scream's success you get Halloween H2O two years later. You get I Know What You Did last summer. You get this this almost restoration, a kind of a second golden age of, of the slasher films. And, and frankly, many of the slasher films that came out post-Scream are in that, in that mold. And, and again, it sort of shows what an impact this movie had. But, but to go back, we have to look at what Scream did. And, and this was a movie that started out really as a love letter to, to Halloween. The, the writer, Kevin Williamson, was a huge fan, still is a huge fan, I'm sure, of the original 1978 John Carpenter classic. And his, his film, his script, it, it's, it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a testament to all the classic horror films, slasher films of the 80s, but it really is at its core a love letter to, to, to Halloween. And so you have that, and, and then you bring in 
the, the, the late great horror master himself, Wes Craven, responsible for Nightmare on Elm Street, just to mention one of his films, you bring him in, you know you're going to get something different. You know you're going to get something special. And with that movie, the the proverbial wheel, or in this case, knife, was was reinvented. And again, I think Scream continues to be felt through the present day. That's why these movies, you know, these later two installments have have resonated with with audiences because they're they're slasher films, but they're they're slasher films with an edge. There there's a there's an interesting commentary with them. They're not necessarily straightforward, okay, guy in a mask running around and killing people. There's all of those elements, but there's there's something kind of uh, in the subtext, something in the layer uh, of, of the film. And that's really what I appreciate. It's the meta-commentary, if you will, on horror films, but particularly all the, all the tropes that you would find in any number of slasher films through the 1980s and then you bring that with a with a with a killer story if you will and a magnetic cast I, I mean it's no wonder that Scream literally slashed its way to the top of box office uh, records and brought the genre or the subgenre back from the dead I know I'm, I'm using a lot of uh, a lot of metaphors here and, and, but you understand uh, my, uh, my my point uh, Scream is often imitated I mean it, you, again as I said you look at a lot of the films that came after it, uh, particularly right in the in the in the in the following of, of 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 the first film, it's 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 imitated, and certainly the '90s saw a revival of the slasher film. But but no one has ever been able to to truly replicate that original film. And again, I think part of that goes to uh, Kevin Williamson's death script, uh, but but also the beautiful way in which he was able to satirize and, and, and satirize not kind of in like a oh let's make fun of it manner but but sort of take the horror movie model the slasher movie model and turn it on its head and, and still be able to give audiences scares and thrills and a really good story because I, I think it's fair to say up until this point the the, the slasher films you know, again name any one of the Friday the 13th or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, or, or again, a lot of the other, uh, you know, uh, rip-offs, if you will. Uh, th- there was it was sort of set up, but no, but no plot. It was like, all right, let's get a bunch of random kids, you know, teenagers. We don't care about their backgrounds. We don't care about who they are. Let's just, you know, essentially call them character A, character B, character C, and then put some kind of a scary mask on a stuntman and have them run around with any number of weapons and, and just make it carnage candy for 90 minutes. And yeah, that that worked. It, it made uh, a lot of studios and a lot of people a lot of money, but it sort of missed the mark. If you go back to the original Halloween, what made that film special? And yes, I know I've, I've said it before, but one of my favorite films of all time, to say nothing of it being my favorite horror film of all time. But what made that movie stand out and what made it work is not the slashing. I mean, there's actually very little blood in the first Halloween movie. It's, it's, it's almost bloodless, but it was a slow burn. It was a, it was, I don't want to call it a character study, but the emphasis was on the story as opposed to a sort of the event, if you will. 
uh, it was more about the suspense and lead up to something happening than actually something happening. And I think partly because we were so invested in those characters. We cared about Annie. We cared about Lori. We cared about Linda. We were invested in Dr. Loomis's journey. That made you buy into the whole premise. And that's something that I think a lot of the other imitators that came along the way missed the point. They, they say, you figured, all right, just get a guy in a mask. Put them in some kind of a location, and then we've got a movie. Well, yeah, that can work for a little bit, but ultimately the audience will catch on to the trick, and they'll realize, all right, I've seen this movie half a dozen times before. And and, and Scream was able to say, all right, we're going to take what you know about a horror film, what you know about a slasher film, but we're going to almost invert it in a way. I mean, one of the best decisions that was ever made, and I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this in some capacity uh, in, in past episodes, though I, I don't think I've actually done a full look at, uh, at the first Scream, so this will really be the, the, the episode to do that. But one of the best decisions ever made for that film was casting Drew Barrymore in the character who dies in the first 15 minutes. What a way to subvert the audience's expectations. Now, the background, of course, was uh, Drew Barrymore, who was, a, who was a rising star at the time, a big name and a big get for the movie. She was originally offered the role of Sidney Prescott, the heroine, the lead of the film. But it was Barrymore's thought to, to say, no, I'll play the one, uh, the character who dies in the beginning. That way, you've set up the audience uh, in a way that, okay, if, if they can kill off Drew Barrymore, all, all bets are off. And what ends up happening is you get arguably one of the best openings for a horror film. I mean, those 15 minutes... It's almost like a movie within a movie. It's so self-contained. It could be a short film. It is filled with the right amount of suspense, the right amount of thrills, the right amount of scares. It's it's beautifully directed, and, and there's it's dripping with tension. It is so intense. For the minute uh, uh, Barrymore's character answers the phone, and we hear that iconic ghost face voice done uh, by by the legendary Roger Jackson. I, I mean, we, the audience, are hooked. We're, we're brought in to this story because right off the bat, we're not dealing with a silent, uh, brute killer, if you will. We're not dealing with Jason. We're not dealing with, with Michael. And we're not dealing necessarily with the wisecracks and the and the jokes of, of, of Freddy. We're dealing with a, with a sadistic character that's sort of playing on movie trivia, horror movie knowledge, and again, sort of you know, bringing the audience along for that journey because it sort of puts us in the position of of Drew Barrymore's character or uh, you know Casey as she's called in the movie, and we're going through those exact emotions. We're going through the set of a, of a stranger on the phone asking us all these questions, and then being you know essentially terrorized on the phone, and that's in a lot of ways more frightening. Then before the you know the, the knife, if you will, is actually revealed. There's so much tension and suspense built up in just the phone call and the back and forth uh, uh, talk between uh, uh, Casey and, and, and Ghostface that that frankly is scarier than, than than just sort of you know watching somebody get you know filleted with a knife. And again, that goes back to I think the brilliance of of that script. That was the hook. 
that was the hook right there uh, because it starts off, you know, one, audiences go in thinking, okay, we're going to see Drew Barrymore in a horror movie. Uh, let's see how she's going to get out of it. Well, within the first 15 minutes, she's gone. So right off the bat, you, you, you flip the audience's thoughts of what, what could happen. You've set up a, a, a really tant- you know, uh, tantalizing premise with this uh, killer who's sort of you know, getting his jollies off of horror movie knowledge and sort of looking to, to make a real-life horror film. And from there, you know, we're just you know, brought full, full, uh, full on into the story. And it's exciting. It, it's riveting. And again, it starts with just that basic hook. And I think the, the, the tagline for this movie says it all. And that, that tagline is, Someone's taken their love of scary movies one step too far. And boom, what a perfect hook. What a way to draw the audience in. So right off the bat, the film is sort of you know, being self-referential in a way you know, for fans of, of the genre. So there's all these little nods to different horror films, I mean, particularly the character of, of Randy Meeks. He's sort of the, the self, uh, self-described, self-appointed uh, movie expert and, and horror buff in the group and, and you know he's sort of there for all those uh, you know diehard fans if you will we're kind of you know, uh, you know being living through the story uh, through Randy and his uh, you know knowledge of the situation and of course you know he's the one that that, that sets up you know, the the rules uh, of a horror movie so before this this film there were sort of unspoken rules if you will kind of the tropes of, of the genre where you know, the, the, the promiscuous kids, the ones who did drugs, they were the ones who, who met their end, uh, you know, with, with, with the killer. And it was always the, the quiet, repressed girl, the, the shy one. Uh, you know, again, think Laurie Strode. You know, they, they were the ones who ultimately survived the horror movie. And so that kind of became the, you know, the unspoken template, if you will, for all of these films. And if you watch which every horror movie post Halloween they follow that template to, to almost to a T. Uh, in, in some cases, might even go go overboard. But but Scream was the one that kind of sorry said all right. This is a basic concept for a horror movie. These these are the rules. If you want to survive a horror film, this is what you must avoid. And number one, of course, you can't have sex because in all the horror films, anyone who has sex, you're dead. Um, the other the other rules: no drugs, no drinking. Well, again, sort of follows like uh, uh, the, the rules of number one. I think even Randy says in the movie, it's a sin factor. It's an extension uh, of number one. And then, of course, the third rule is never, under any circumstances, say you'll be right back because you won't be right back. Again, sort of falling into those those tropes. You know, where people hear a strange noise, they go and investigate it, and then they you know come back with their head chopped off. You know, again, sort of. Self, you know, referencing the the the, the rules, if you will, the, the beats of a horror film, uh, but doing it in a way where it's like, what would happen if this were real life? What would be the reaction? And again, while this film is, is very much a heightened reality, it, it does have that that plausibility, if you will, that that sense of okay, what would be people's reaction if this were to happen? Uh, you know, to them, if this was happening in in their neighborhood, and and what I like about how the you know, sort of the rules factor in to the film is that the character of Sydney, while she is presented 
as as the as the, the final girl, as the heroine, again very much in the Laurie Strode or the the Nancy Thompson uh, image from Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, you know, she is not a square. She is not a a repressed uh, girl. And and kind of you know, interestingly, she she breaks the rules uh, in, in, in this film. She does have sex uh, with her boyfriend, who ultimately spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but ultimately is revealed to be. Uh, to be the killer. So again, it kind of takes those rules, establishes them, but then finds a way to invert uh, those particular roles, uh, or those particular rules. And again, even like the character of, of Dewey in the film, who interestingly was supposed to, to meet his end. He wasn't supposed to survive, but that was a last-minute change because uh, the test reading audience loved the character so much, and thus Dewey survived. But like, you know, if, if that was a kind of a straightforward horror film, you would imagine a character like Dewey, the, 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 the lovable idiot uh, meeting his end and, and not surviving. But again, the film goes out of its way to, to sort of it, you know, in, in, uh, invert and subvert the rules uh, rather than necessarily following along with them beat for beat. Again, it's, it's sort of taking the best of what you've seen in all these horror films, whether it's Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and molding it together into this kind of almost, you know, perfect Frankenstein creation uh, you know, that, that ultimately is the film Scream. And you know, again, I think what makes Sydney stand out and why I think a lot of fans, she is their favorite uh, favorite final girl, is that she she's not just, you know, sort of the you know, quote unquote, you know, good girl or, you know, girl next door uh, persona. She has an element of tragedy to her. She, she's a modern final girl, uh, whereas in most of these these movies before that, the, the final girl was just sort of presented as, as the quiet one, the good per, you know, the good girl, but that's it, there's not much in the way of their background or story, and that kind of sort of is developed, and, and you know, they sort of go through the rigors and then come out uh, the, the champion on the other end of the, uh, of the final reel, but in the case of Sydney. There is already an element of, of, of tragedy and, and trauma in her background, and, and that kind of makes her her different. It makes her stand out more than, than a lot of the other final girls um, in uh, you know in, in the canon. And, and if you sort of look at post Scream, there's a lot more complexity and layers to to you know to the final girls. Uh, in, in subsequent horror films, and I think that really is a testament uh, to uh, to Sydney. Again, I think of you know the character Julie in um, in I know what you did last summer. Again, she's presented as the final girl. She, you know, she's a good you know she's a good person, but you know she's not she's not black and white. There, there's 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 a lot of gray to her, and I think that's again a testament to how the Sydney character was was presented, how Nev Campbell portrayed her, but ultimately how audiences reacted, which I think they wanted a, a, a modern final girl. It wasn't going to work just to have somebody who was the, the quote-unquote stereotypical uh, you know, good girl character uh, go through the rigors and then defeat the killer at the end. You had to add a little bit more complexity and nuance to not only you know add layers to the story, but to also kind of bring the genre into the modern modern age and, and, and rise above the quote-unquote stock characters that had largely populated these types of films prior to Scream. And again, the cast of this movie is, I think, another reason why it 
work so well. I mean, you've got David Arquette, you've got Courtney Cox, Nev Campbell, uh, Skeet Ulrich. I mean, just a just an incredible array of talent. And what I love a lot about it, because certainly if you look back at many of the horror films that pre- preceded Scream, there's a hamminess to it. Uh, you know, character there. People are playing characters in a movie. I know that kind of seems almost counterintuitive, but um, I look at a film like, for example, uh, just to just to sort of pick on uh, you know, my favorite horror franchise, Halloween. The previous Halloween film is is filled with what I would call stock characters. I'm referring to Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers, the sixth installment in the franchise. Everyone outside of the late, great Donald Pleasance, uh, who played Dr. Loomis in you know, Sidebar, never turned in a bad performance of the character as far as I'm concerned. But in that movie particular, there's no one else who's memorable. I mean, even though it has uh, the great Paul Rudd in his uh, screen debut, there, there's no one in, the, in that movie outside of Pleasance that gives in my view, a, a performance that's that's sort of memorable. They're, they're, they're filler characters. You have the characters who are, you know, there just for, for body count. You have the sort of, you know, stock hero, if you will, in, in Paul Rudd's character. You have, um, you know, sort of, you know, the quote-unquote final girl archetype. And there's nothing else. It's just sort of, these are the characters that we have to, you know, fill out the story with and, and everybody's sort of playing their part whereas in Scream you have fully developed and, and, and well-rounded characters that feel real and believable and again I look at Sydney and, and Tatum's um, relationship in the film Tatum played by Rose McGowan and their, their friendship feels real there's nothing forced about it and I think that illustrates the the testament to what was created it wasn't just all right we need to have the stock best friend to play off of the stock final girl like the, the all these characters felt felt real and lived in and, and had believability to them and i think that's what added to the stakes the friend group in in scream feels like a real group of friends not just sort of you know people playing friends <laughs> in a way the character of Gail, played by, I mean, talk about a great bit of casting. Courtney Cox, who at the time was most known for playing Monica on, on Friends, to have her come in and play completely against type, to play, you know, in her words, a, a, a bitch character, was a stroke of was a stroke of genius. And and again, Gail feels real, not just sort of the you know, stock, uh, you know, exposition character. She, she's this reporter. She has her own agenda. She's complicated. She's layered. She's nuanced. All of that just sort of adds to the dynamic. Her banter and, and, and interactions with, with Dewey, played by David Arquette. And then again, of course, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, you know, the chief villain, if you will, uh, you know, Skeet Ulrich's character, you know, Billy Loomis. I mean, he, I mean, you look at this film and kind of right off the bat, you figure, yeah, he's definitely going to be the killer. He has that that vibe. But yet, the film then does this 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 flip where it almost catches you off guard when he is finally revealed 
as, as the killer. I mean, now for us rewatching, you know, you know what's going to happen. And, and again, I think modern audiences today would be well in on on, on the uh, on the flip. But you know, watching this the first time, you could come away with the impression of, of Billy actually not being the killer because at one point, you know, he apparently, you know, he quote unquote meets his end, but you know, it's later revealed that he's a. Uh, uh, you know, he's not. And there's a wonderful reference to to the uh, to the movie Carrie, where you know he comes out in what we think is blood, but it's actually just uh, corn syrup. And he you know makes the 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 reference to the to Carrie, how in the scene at the prom where she has pig's uh, blood dumped on her, it was all corn syrup. So again, a little uh, nice reference to another classic horror film. But again, even the reveal, the the, the way the script sort of gets you to to buy into these characters uh, stories and, and situations you know you're you're along for the ride I mean scream I, I have always described as the perfect roller coaster because you know it starts off at a hundred it slows down after that gives you time to, to be with the characters get an idea of the background and the backstory then it kicks up to 75. Slows down again. More character moments. More uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, interesting exposition, and then boom! In that third act, it, it goes from zero to a hundred in in the blink of an eye, and it and it keeps up. But it, you never feel rushed. There's a perfect amount of suspense, and then pause and build up uh, to to the film. And yeah, you know, sort of looking at the movie in, in all of its sequels, and Scream is one of those franchises, uh, particularly in horror, where they've managed to keep the storyline consistent. There hasn't been a reboot, there hasn't been a remake, they haven't had to to change timelines, uh, as is in the case of a lot of horror films, Halloween being a, a prime example of that, uh, but... Scream has stayed stayed true from now from you know the first one all the way through its most recent entry with part six. But one thing I, I have noticed is that you know despite the fact that I, I've enjoyed all of the sequels and I would I would argue that there hasn't been a bad Scream uh, sequel. That first one is perfect, and all of the ones that have come after, even though I've enjoyed a lot of them, some of them. Uh, an even greater amount, a great deal. The, the, that first one is that true lightning in, in the bottle movie. It, it, it was able to tap into something. It was able to put all of the tropes, all of the tricks, the trappings of the genre together in a way that made it feel fresh and inventive. And it was like we're seeing it for the first time. And I, I don't think any other film in the in the franchise. Again, I preface I've enjoyed all of them, but I don't think any other one has been able to find that right balance between both the horror and the humor. Scream is a funny movie. Like it's not a okay. Here's a here's a here's a setup. Here's a joke. Or here's a. Uh, you know, some sort of you know pratfall or, or a gag. It's none of that. The the humor in Scream arises from the characters. It arises from the tension, the situation, the self-referential uh, moments, the, the the nods to other horror films. There's a there's a scene towards the end of the film where where Randy's character is is half in the bag. 
he is watching Halloween on 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 film, and uh, you know he's watching Halloween on 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 VHS. And it's at the part of the movie where Laurie Strode's character, uh, played by the, the great Jamie Lee Curtis, is going into the house to investigate what's wrong with her friends. And it's during this particular scene that um, that Randy is being stalked by Ghostface, and he doesn't know it. And he's talking to the TV, saying to to, to Jamie Lee Curtis's character, he's, you know, on screen, he's like. Watch out, Jamie. He's behind you. He's behind you. And of course, he has no ref, no no realization that that the actual killer in their movie is right behind uh, him. And then, kind of interestingly enough, the uh, actor's name is Jamie Kennedy. So there's sort of that little interesting, uh, you know, double reference, if you will. But like that's that's what I mean about kind of the humor. It's not necessarily played for laughs and, and outright jokes. It sort of arises from the moment, the tension and, and, and sort of situation of the characters, much like the original Halloween film, in a way, where, you know, the, the, the humor came from the story. It came from the character's experience. It wasn't just like, all right, here's a joke, let's set it up, and boom. Uh, you know, I, I think of the humor in horror films up until Scream, I don't know, I I feel like I'm picking on Halloween today, but like in the fifth Halloween movie, there were these two bumbling cop uh, characters and they were clearly put in there for for laughs and and everything they did was, it was comical but in a dumb way and they even had like this weird little uh, theme music that would surround, that would play whenever they were on screen and like that, that was kind of the humor that was sort of Planted in horror films uh, up until up until Scream, where it was like Scream went back to the basics in a way, and, and, and figured we could make the humor from the actual story. And I think part of the way that this movie is sort of riffing in, in the best possible way on all the other horror films uh, of, of of the of another era adds to to the humor and, and levity uh, of the situation. And again, I think that was something that this first one really exceeded it and I, I, I don't think it has ever been been replicated whereas I think some of the sequels have maybe gone a little too far on 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 the humor and kind of the uh, the self-referential moments and, and less on the horror or gone you know vice versa uh, this one I think finds that that perfect uh, that perfect element to kind of take what came before and then and make something new and, and fresh about it um, but I mean, I said this at the start, this movie, this script was a love letter to Halloween. Kevin Williams' uh, sort of, you know, uh, you know appreciation to, to the film that, that largely kicked off uh, the modern horror film. And you look at what is in screen. I mean, not only are they watching Halloween on uh, on TV, but also acknowledging Jamie Lee Curtis as the screen queen and her role as a final girl. But the film itself has a lot of great 
nods and 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 homages to to that first film. I mean, you've got a mass killer. You've got the character of Billy Loomis with the last name Loomis, a reference to Donald Pleasant's character from those films. You, you even have Gail Weathers, you know, in a trench coat at the very end of the film in her you know perfect ex machia moment where she arrives and, and shoots Billy, uh, kind of you know in the same beat as uh, Doctor Loomis you know, rescuing uh, Laurie in the in the first film. You know, those sort of interesting moments that just add to the to the obviously the connection to that to that first film but also an appreciation of the whole genre i mean even Wes craven appears in the movie uh wearing uh, the freddy krueger sweater again talk about a a a nod right there to the to the man that created uh freddy krueger i mean that's i think why I, i so appreciate this film not only for the fact that it's it's a fun, scary movie with an actual story to it. I mean, again, it, I haven't even touched on the the background of Sidney Prescott and how her her situation with her mother and her mother's murder a year before adds into into to Billy Loomis's motivation and kind of the whole setup for this movie and the idea of kind of creating a a, a real life horror film, but. Just the references and the nods and the and the tributes to the entire genre. I think that's why this film stands out for me as as one of the greats because it it not only is what many movies should be and aren't, but it's a fun, it's an engaging film. It has incredible rewatchability, uh, but it also is it, it's a fun kind of you know wink and nod movie and again not in a in a joking manner but sort of like a a a love letter to all of the horror films that have have preceded it and i think that's what makes it so so refreshing and cool that it 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 took the care to be self-referencing without going to the point of parody um, you know, it sort of satirizes the horror genre while also paying respect to it, and, and that's a that's a tricky balance because you can easily go into the uh, to the parody camp. But I think because Williams' script was so was so tight, and and Craven, of course, directing the film and knowing the genre, knowing uh, how to, to to reel in an audience, I, I think that again they, it was lightning in a bottle that as much as I've enjoyed the other sequels nothing can compare to this particular film and, and and it does it does what what the best horror films in my opinion do is that it it, it did it, it was a self-contained story yes there was uh, five other sequels after it but that first film it has a beginning a middle and an end you know much in the same way Halloween a beginning middle in an end. It wasn't like, all right, here's the plug for the sequel, even though the film was actually pitched uh, with with an immediate follow-up, uh, which, of course, came out a year after the fact. But, I mean, that's what I think is so so rare, especially in today's age, where, like, you got to have a sequel, got to have a sequel. Like, Scream, it, it, you could literally watch it for just that one movie, and, and it works. And you don't have to see the other films, even though I would, I would of course, encourage you to do so. Uh, but that first film, it is, by all accounts, the definition of, of perfect, just from the music, from the cast, to to the story itself, to the direction. I mean, everything worked. Everyone was hiring on all cylinders, and I think there's a reason why 
it has it has continued to endure almost now 30 years later because it is so it is so original it's so inventive and it and it it takes the care to appreciate the entire genre it's not there poking a finger in the eye of of, of other horror films it's it's embracing everything it's embracing everything warts and all and ultimately telling uh, a story which is which is engaging that has thrills that has suspense that has that has scares that has that has blood I mean, it has all the the elements that that make a that make a perfect horror film and and i i just get such a such a joy watching watching this film because it, it's one of those movies where it, it is a it is a smart slasher film again not in a way that's that's condescending to its audience but it again, it, it, you know you can sort of watch this movie for for just as a straightforward uh, thriller but you can also watch it uh, with, with an appreciation for the entire genre and I think that's for me what I what I love most about it is that it's it's a movie that works on on many different layers it, you know you can see it as a commentary on the genre you can see it as a love letter to the genre you can see it as as just as sort of a fun slasher thriller in many ways it's all of the above it's all of it put together into a perfect package and and again I, I i don't think it has ever been replicated in any of the sequels and i sort of look at every horror film that came out immediately after that and you can see screams uh stamp all over it whether it was i know what you did last summer whether it was uh the faculty whether it was Halloween H2O. Scream had its, its, its impact and it certainly revitalized interest in, in the, in the subgenre and made horror cool again, but it also sort of, you know, had its influence on a number of horror films throughout the rest of that decade. And that's, that's a powerful legacy and one that we're still, uh, we're still, uh, seeing today. I mean, as I said at the beginning, a seventh film is in, is in production. It will be happening uh, in in short order. So you know, bring it on. I mean, I, I'm I I love this franchise. Again, my heart, of course, always belongs uh, in Haddonfield and, and with the Halloween movies. But it, it, you know, if you're going to have a, a second, in, in, in my opinion, uh, screen, you don't get much better. Uh, you don't get any better than, than the screen films. And this this first film, uh, especially, is just a perfect capstone. Uh, of a, a time when both the genre was both in the decline, but then was was brought back to life uh, in, in kind of a in traditional horror movie fashion, a, a mad scientist uh, production, if you will. But that's uh, that's all I really wanted to to share today. Just sort of some some random thoughts and, and feelings on this on this particular film. I'm, I'm sure uh, in a future episode I will do a, a much deeper dive into the world of, of Woodsboro and, and Ghostface and, and unmask uh, much more about this particular film and franchise. I've only done a few Scream-related episodes. I think this is now the third, so definitely we'll have to get more uh, on the uh, on the docket. But, but this is a case where uh, I, I just wanted to talk about one of my favorite films. As I said, I just started a, a, did a list of my top 15, and I know I've, I've mentioned some of them on this show in the past, but uh, uh, more more to come in in the weeks ahead. But that's all that I, I have for you today. I want to thank you, as always, 
for tuning in and hearing what I have to say on movies, particularly in this case, about the movie Scream. I'll be back next week, and we'll do this all over again for the love of movies. Mm -hmm.